This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, this is Dave Davies of the Kinks, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Pantheon Podcasts presents from Toronto, Canada. Muses with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. Music. Culture. Technology and rock and roll. So grab those backstage passes and let's get to the show. Great. What a wonderful summer it's been. Yeah. Sad that it's, you know, coming to a close, but yeah. uh, I definitely had a lot of fun this summer. Yeah. Yeah. What? Ending it with a summer cold, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're not I you're not doing so, yeah. so hot, eh, bud? Well, I'm getting through it. Okay. Well, yeah. what are some fun things that you've been up to this summer? Oh, lots of just hanging out with friends, trying to take advantage of the weather, biking everywhere. That's been amazing, just how freeing it is to be on a bike and, you know, going to work. It's been so much easier and I feel great on it and uh, going to see some concerts and, you know, the usual. Yeah. Getting how- some sun, going to the beach. Speaking of, how tan am I? Yeah. <laughs> how tan am I not? I just repel the sun. Like, I enjoy it, but it just... I don't know. I don't. I can't tan. No, I've got a nice. I've got a nice. Yeah, color you do. On. You should see how white my butt is <laughs> in comparison. It's been great. Yeah, it's uh, gonna be. I think a great episode today. Before we get into that, I'm let's so talk excited. a little about Patreon. Yeah, it's been a couple months now. We got a lot of fun episodes up there, and we're getting new patrons and. We want to thank a few new ones. Yeah. So we want to thank Jennifer, Jerry, Abby, and Sheena. We really appreciate every time we see that it comes through that we have a new patron. Then, you know, we see your name and we go, thank you, Jerry. And we go, thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, Abby. And thank you, Sheena. Yeah. And everybody else who's been a patron so far. It's uh, really motivating for us, too. And it's just a wonderful thing. So thank you very yeah. much. And just getting Appreciate comments it. on Instagram and interacting with everyone has been so fun. And 
that's always a highlight, you know, every day checking the Instagram and seeing what's going on there and been great. Yeah. So if you'd like to support us financially as well as spiritually, you can go to patreon.com slash muses podcast. Yeah. Thank you very much. Let's actually mention very quickly something that we just found out before we started recording as well. Oh, yes. Okay. Do you want to tell them? Well, if you check out iTunes under music history, bam, there we are right on the page, front page, right under Robert Plant. Yeah, right under Robert Plant's podcast and right beside uh, the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast and just a few spaces away from Miss Pamela's Pajama Party podcast. There are a lot of Pantheon podcasts on these music lists, these top music lists on iTunes. So that's amazing. We're in good company, that's for sure. Other uh, shows on our network that are there, The Rock and Roll Librarian, Rock Candy, Who Cares About the Rock Hall. Yeah. So congratulations to our network. Congratulations to you, Lynx. Congratulations to Robert Plant. Yeah. (laughs) Still still going strong. Wow. I can't believe like there's there's his face. And then and then just rape. There's ours. Almost touching. Yeah. Is our faces. Wow. Jet. It's magical. Okay. And I'm so excited about this episode. We've been talking about doing Olivia for a while. The Olivia she's speaking of is Olivia Harrison. Yeah. I'm very happy I'm not presenting this because I'm just going to relax my voice and okay. and take it in. Yeah. All right. Teach me about Olivia. Okay. Well, this episode, I really owe a lot to somebody special mm-hmm. for helping me out with this. So I had gotten a bunch of books from the library on George Harrison, and I was going to just dive in and extract everything on Olivia as possible, as we usually do, Mm -hmm. right? Olivia has not written her autobiography, and that's a lot easier sometimes. You have all of it from the source in one spot, whereas you kind of take from these. And I posted a photo of all of the books that I had chosen on Instagram, and a beautiful angel messaged me, and the Instagram account is Harrison Archive. Yeah. And it's actually somebody named Andrea behind it. And Andrea offered to help me out with research. Not only that, she had already had archived just quotes and quotes and quotes and quotes from all of these books that I had chosen. I swear, I worked on this book. I mean, I worked on this episode for weeks. Yeah. And that's still with all of her help. Yeah. So without her, I don't know if this episode would be like as thorough or as good. And I just, I appreciate it so much. Yeah. That somebody who has access to all of that information was just like, here you go. I love what you do. Mm -hmm. And so it really helped with a good base of the episode. I also am going to be leaving in a lot of quotes by Olivia because I could have taken them and then rewritten them to be like, And she said that, but a lot of them were just so great right from her mouth that I did leave them in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the books that not only were quoted in the Harrison Archive, but the ones that I took out of the library were living in the material world. So that big blue book, Olivia was really very Mm -hmm. responsible for. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. I Me Mine. Yes. By George Harrison. Behind the Locked Door by Graham Thompson. Harrison by the editors of Rolling Stone. And then there are a few like Rolling Stone articles, Billboard, uh, and then just right at the end, a little bit of Wikipedia. Amazing. So thorough. So that's where all of the information for today's episode came from. Incredible. Yeah. So I didn't want to just 
barrel into this episode and just start talking about Olivia right away. And the reason is because the most thoroughly I talked about George Harrison was in episode one. Yeah, that's right. And that is going to be a good 114 episodes ago. Yeah. Wow. I know. You weren't even there. No, I wasn't. Not yet. And because my first episode was Patty Boyd. Yeah, that's right. So through reading Patty's book and some other things, I got to get a good sense of George and George as she knew him. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get back into that mindset. Not only that, like go back to his upbringing and just really try to re-understand the man who kind of finished his life with Olivia to give her almost a greater context, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I've also picked out a little bit of uh, relationships before Patty. Oh. Between Patty and Olivia. Oh. And uh, sort of, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I don't really know much about that. So awesome. Okay. As we know, George Harrison is a complicated man. He was a complicated man. A Pisces. So that means that he could be loud, extroverted, aggressive, confrontational, as well as shy, soulful, sultry, and of course, funny. We know his sense of humor. We're going to go back to just a little bit of his history to give him context into his relationships. He was the youngest child of four. He had two brothers and a sister, and also the youngest in the Beatles. In the Beatles, yeah. So he was kind of the golden boy, could pretty much get away with anything he wanted. And when we talk about supportive mothers on the show George's mom was definitely one of those Mm -hmm. she always encouraged his career so he already had a very supportive and loving and doting yeah mother that's amazing Mm -hmm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. since George was the youngest in the band he was the most inexperienced with girls of course when the band started he had had a few girlfriends but always really innocent stuff holding hands and kissing it wasn't until he went to germany with the beatles when he was around 17 that he really started to get an education yes in that sense if you remember I, oh i remember that. very well yes <laughs> uh burn i think did we talk about that in the astrid and yeah and, for sure stew Sutcliffe? Yeah. 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 Unlike Klaus Foreman. And we talked about, if you want to, yeah, talk about the Beatles and Germany in those early days, definitely hit up that episode. Some Um, wild fun times there. It was, yeah. Bernadette Farrell was his last serious Liverpool girlfriend. He dated her in the early months of 1963. Mm -hmm. She says that he was loving, caring, and private, lively, and humorous, which is funny because It's interesting to say that even before he was in the Beatles, that he was private. Yes. Yeah. When you said that, I thought, yeah, that's interesting. He always had that sense of, you know, being inward and not wanting to share too much. Yep. He moved to London and began dating a model named Anne-Marie Guiron or Guiron or I don't know how they pronounce it in England, who later married a member of the Moody Blues. Oh, he had a fling with Estelle Bennett. Of the Ronettes. Wow. They met at a party and they just kind of carried on their little fling until it just naturally fizzled out. Touring, on the other hand, was characterized by a more frenzied kind of sexual activity. <laughs> you might not know this, but according to this book that I read, Behind the Locked Door by Graham Thompson, and that was another thing that was so helpful with Harrison Archives, is that I was actually able to just spend my time diving into this book. It's just a really thorough history of George Harrison from beginning to end. It was I just immersed myself in it. 
Amazing. I just really, like we were on summer holidays. I just, I loved it. And I watched Living in the Material World as well. Amazing. So I spent a lot of hours on this. But in this book, he was saying that female, like good looking female fans were chosen out of the audience at Beatles concerts and given the information to the hotel room. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's something that they've sort of kept quiet about. Mm -hmm. But not surprising. Yeah, interesting. I believe it had been said that George did lose his virginity with the other members present. In in Hamburg, maybe? Yeah. John Lennon was quoted saying something along the lines of, back then they didn't call them groupies. And when we didn't have groupies, we had whores. Wow. Okay. So that's a little bit of George's early life with girls before the band and then as a Beatle. So... We covered Patty in episode one, and so I think it'll be a little bit helpful to just recap their relationship as well, so we can know his mindset as he was going into Patty. The two met on the set of A Hard Day's Night. She was one of four girls selected to play a schoolgirl on the train scene. Patty has said, we were almost immediately attracted to each other. He seemed to be very carefree and lighthearted. I think he hadn't quite realized what had happened to him. Oh, right. He's only 21. It's crazy knowing all of this, this, like just the fame and everything. These relationships happened to all of them when they were babies. I know. And then I think, you know, because Patty is such a celebrity in her own right, because just like women her age were modeling themselves after Bridget Bardot, like we still have girls that want to be Patty Boy. Absolutely. And I think that with Patty, we there might be some people going like, George should have never left her. Why didn't they try to work it out? Why did she leave yeah. for Eric? But I think to remember that when you're serious with somebody at such a young age. Yeah, you're still growing. You're still finding out who you are and the, what, what you need in a relationship. And yeah. in like peak of your, not even peak of fame or even just approaching that is quite a thing. So he was 21 and within days he was meeting her parents. George was the leader of he and Patty's household. She had two Dalmatians that had to leave oh, because so they bothered his cats. Oh right? man. He also had the old fashioned idea that she shouldn't work. And so she didn't. Yeah. She said that it was a conservative point of view and she did go along with it. You know, there had been news and gossip columns that George wasn't faithful. For example, he was asked about a young movie starlet named Joey Heatherton. Oh, yeah, Joey. Yeah. And when they asked about her, he said, I don't even know him, whoever he is. Kind of a, you know, protest too much kind of thing. So I just wanted to explain that it wasn't an easy relationship and it wasn't perfect. Yeah. And they were so young. Yeah. 1965 uh, really changed things for him because he tried acid with John for the first time and he had a new awareness of consciousness. And we know that this newfound awareness of consciousness and the development of it was something that would eventually bring him and Patty close and then apart. Yeah. So touring had become an intolerable accumulation of stress factors and it was paying a toll on George who was 23. Mm-hmm. He had said our original intention was just to be in a band as opposed to having a job. The goals were quite small really. So we know he needed more. He needed something beyond the material world. In 1966 he met 
Ravi Shankar, who was the first and only person who really impressed him. George was drawn to Indian music and the sitar and believed he had been born there in a past life. Ravi also taught him about spirituality, which I believe was ultimately the biggest divide between George and Patty. She was really along for it, and she was a leader in many ways. She was into the Maharishi before any of them. Hmm. She was in transcendental meditation before any of them. Interesting. But in my opinion, in the end, he ended up choosing it over her. Yes, for sure. For sure. As we know, the other Beatles were going through what they were going through. But by the time Sgt. Peppers came along, the author, um, Graham, had said he barely ever touches his guitar. As a consequence, the Beatles discovered they had a guitarist who no longer wanted to play and who also didn't have much time for poppy music. Mm. So let's wrap up Patty by saying that we know that there was a lot of sexual psychodrama you know, we can bring Maureen into the mix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We can bring Charlotte Martin yeah. into the mix. And of course, there was Eric Clapton kind of always sniffing around. And even Chris O'Dell, when we covered Chris yeah. O'Dell's book, she'd had uh, her boyfriend come in and live in Friar Park as well. And he, even he said it was weird vibes. I can't even imagine the atmosphere there, like at the end of things. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I'm going to finish off Patty's talking. Just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little part from the book here. Everybody noticed that the extremes of his behavior, always evident, were growing more pronounced. Starr recalled the clear delineation of these two incredible separate personalities. He had the love, bag of beads, personality, and the bag of anger. He was very black and white. At home, he became more distant and detached. I couldn't reach him, says Boyd, who attributes the start of the long breakdown of their marriage to her husband's immersion in his own spiritual quest post Rikihesh, as well as accentuating his ingrained personality traits. The trip seemed to have altered his self-image. Hmm. Odell, who had to parry his occasional amorous advances, remembers her first meeting with Harrison in 1968. As well as noting that he was better looking than I had thought, she recalls that he arrived for lunch at Club Del Eretuso on the King's Road, Dowston. Oh, du guru. He smelled so good, always, she says. Hmm. He was a sexy man. <laughs> and, and he liked women. Yeah. Right? And he's still young. And, and he's still young. He got, you know, into a marriage so early before really, I guess, you know, discovering that side of himself yeah yeah that's right but imagine that like being patty you just can't reach him anyways he did date someone else between patty and olivia 24 year old model kathy simmons who had before him oh kathy dated rod stewart yeah and Nielsen. yeah amazing apparently she thought that the relationship was a little bit more than what it was mm. he thought it was a fling and so he just kind of i don't know if uh you know, we've all been there in 1974. Ghosting was a thing, but I think he did that to her. Uh, so, yeah, Patty and George did split in 1974 and they divorced in 1977. After he split with her, he made an album called Splinter. And it was reported saying to a Houston radio station that he would need to see five million copies of that album. Or sorry, sell five million copies of that album just to cover the expense of all the brandy consumed during the production. 
Hmm. He was also doing a lot of cocaine at that point, and that Pisces part of him was really struggling. The black, white, yin, yang, good George, bad George. Yeah. Simply Shady is a song that really encapsulates this. Hmm. Okay. Somebody brought juice up. I thought I'd take a sip. Came off the rails so crazy. My senses took a Let's talk about Olivia Harrison. Before she became Olivia Harrison in 1978, she was Olivia Trinidad Arias, an Angelino, which I found out is a native inhabitant of Los Angeles, hmm. whose grandparents immigrated to Los Angeles from, Mex- from Mexico. So she was born May 18th, 1948, and that makes her 71 years old today. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. She grew up in Hawthorne, California, which is also the hometown of the Beach Boys. And it turned out later to be a major point of interest for George when she gave him a tour of her old neighborhood. Hmm. She was spiritual. She was already into meditation before meeting George, but she was very, very grounded. Great. Her grandparents were Mexican immigrants to California who grew corn in their front garden and drove around in a horse and cart. Her parents worked from morning to night to support their five sons and daughters, her father Zeke in a dry cleaners, and her mother Mary Louise as a seamstress. Wow. Olivia has said, We lived only about 10 miles from Beverly Hills, but it was a different world. There was a very affluent society I didn't even know existed. And looking back, I'm not sorry. (laughs) Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. For a long time, she says, I thought we were poor. But don't portray me as a poor Mexican waif with no shoes who married this very rich man, because now I realize we had it made. Working with Romania has helped me to see my family differently. There you discover what deprivation and abandonment really are, and you can no longer use those words in relation to your own life. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting putting those things in perspective. Yeah, for sure. For sure. She was loved, supported, and as much materially supported as her parents could give. Her parents were often absent, but that's because they were always working. She has said, I'm sure that their association with my husband has changed their lives. You can't really avoid that. They've had opportunities they never dreamt of, but they are down to earth people and love him like a son. And they don't treat him any differently than anyone else, which is probably the only way it could have worked. They just go on as they always have, which is one reason I think why George has always been able to be a part of our family. My parents are probably a lot like his mom and dad. Hmm. Yeah. So after high school, Olivia 
I think was really encouraged to go to post-secondary school. So she did go to college and she ended up becoming a secretary. She worked in the marketing department at George's American record company, A&M, yeah. when she met him. And at that point, she was 27 years old. Cool. She said that it had never crossed her mind that she would marry someone famous. She's like, it was just one of those things. You know, she didn't aim to marry anybody yeah. that was famous. Although she understood that, of course, there were some people who get into that kind of business or surround themselves with those kinds of people in order to, like, manifest a rock star yeah. husband. But for her, she says it wasn't like that. She says that they were just very simpatico to each other and they it became friends. Sounds like they are. Yeah. Olivia didn't seem to struggle too much with her identity living in Los Angeles. And it was moving to England that being Mexican was considered exotic. Mm -hmm. And she became fully aware of the discrimination that she had encountered in Los Angeles, but maybe not directly. She said, I always knew I wasn't going to be one of those cheerleaders in a little skirt. And I had a feeling it was because I was brown. So she gained a greater perspective of the jobs and roles of people with darker skin played in L.A. Um, she said, if you took all of the gardeners, waiters and nannies away from Beverly Hills, the place would screech to a halt. So true. In Britain, there were other problems for her to face. She felt super isolated. She didn't have any girlfriends. And this is skipping ahead a little bit, but it was actually having a child that helped her adjust. So having Danny and family values helped her to have a life in England. Mm hmm. Go back to her family life um, and Olivia's grandparents who were born in Guanajuato. Do you know how to pronounce that? That sounds... Guanajuato? That sounds good. Hmm. She hadn't spent much time in Mexico, but she says it's really where her heart is. And I'm going to quote here, her here. She said, my sister is married to a beautiful Mexican artist and my mother is still alive. This was in 2016. Mm-hmm. So I guess we are a normal Hispanic family, more than an American family, I would say. When my husband married me, he married into a Mexican family. George loved Mexican music. He watched some of these films with me. He even had Jorge Negrete on the jukebox. My father used to sing with his brothers around 1938, and like every musician, he used to grow around with his guitar. So George actually took my dad into the studio and recorded him, and my dad and my mother sang like four full songs, and probably your mother and your father, your grandparents know. We used to call him Jorge. Sometimes, if he wanted to use another name, he would go by Jorge Arias, because that is my maiden name. Hmm. Isn't that cute? Yeah. So as I said, she was working at AM Records, which distributed Dark Horse's release. That was George's album at the time. And they started chatting, you know, on business calls. They found that they had musical and philosophical interests in common and soon began talking regularly. So they both knew that they had this connection before they had ever met. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so it's not like they met and then all of a sudden they were like, ooh, yeah. George was already very interested in her. And he actually asked Chris O'Dell if she would go and take a picture of Olivia <laughs> because he wanted to know if she was as beautiful in person as she was on the phone. Well, she certainly was. Yeah. And so Chris was like, Ugh, you know, OK, I'll do it. So Chris O'Dell says this from her book. I flew back to L.A. and even stopped by Dark Horse Records to meet Olivia, a stunning Mexican-American girl with long, dark hair and big brown eyes. But I never did take her picture. I couldn't imagine any other woman in George's life but Patty. And if he really wanted to meet Olivia, he could walk into her office and introduce himself. 
which is exactly what he did. From all accounts, it was love at first sight. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, Olivia had already been into meditation. And since George was in a period of total chaos, she had a profoundly soothing effect on him. And he has said that he did fall for her immediately and that they were blissfully happy together. Hmm. This is what George says about meeting Olivia. Okay. I went on a bit of a bender to make up for all of the years I'd been married. If you listen to Simply Shady on Dark Horse, it's all in there. My whole life at the time was a bit like Mrs. Dale's diary. I wasn't ready to join Alcoholics Anonymous or anything. I didn't think I was that far gone, but I could put back a bottle of brandy occasionally, plus all of the other naughty things that fly around. (laughs) I just went on a binge, went on the road, all that sort of thing, until it got to the point where I had no voice and almost no body at times. Then I met Olivia, and it all worked out fine. There's a song on the new album, Dark Sweet Lady. You came and helped me through when I'd let go. You came from out the blue, never have known what I'd done without you. That sums it up. has also said that George had had his astrological chart read a couple of years before meeting Olivia and that he was told that he would meet a dark woman who would become important in his life. Hmm. So he thought he was going to meet a woman from India. Oh. Right. And people who were close to George said that they were just over the moon for each other. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Olivia has said in the I Me Mind book, Still, that first face-to-face meeting, followed by 27 years together, is just as vivid today as the last time I saw his face. This is just too much sweetness. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Someone in Billboard asked Olivia, how is it to see lyrics to songs like Dark Sweet Lady? That's about you, right? And she said, it is. All those songs like, say, Your Love is Forever, which has that line, sublime is the summertime, warm and lazy. These are perfect days like heavens about here. That is so personal to me because I think about somewhere we were and it was beautiful and warm and there was no pressure and no angst. Those times in your life when everything is just smooth and beautiful and you can really be your best self and who you want to be. Songs like that, the lyrics to those, they're the ones that mean so much to me. They all do, but that one, sublime is the summertime. This is so lovely. Olivia was very comfortable with George to suggest writing songs to him. And one day she said, 
why don't you write a Mexican song? So she never said, why don't you write a Mexican song about me? Or why don't you write a song about me? But he got the nylon string guitar out that he used on the Beatles and I Love Her and he started to play it. Hmm. Um, Her father played guitar, like we said, and they used to play together. So he started playing the Spanish style and it just turned into um, that song for her. And she says, you know, I didn't ask him to write one about me, just sort of a Spanish Mexican style and turned out to be this like beautiful song about her. He's also written songs about Danny. Uh, He wrote Unknown Delight and a lot of really tender songs for his family during that period. I love it when... Uh, musicians find a muse in you know all, their whole family when they write about their moms or their kids or you know their partner it's it's great that they can find inspiration everywhere yeah george was obviously very moved and inspired by olivia and she was most definitely his muse mm-hmm. yeah so he had begun writing the song your love is forever Um, When they were first immersed in their love affair and, you know, with Hawaii and the love in the opening verse turned to divine love. So he really equated the love of Olivia to a divine kind of love. George has said about writing about Olivia, he said, I started Beautiful Girl in 1969. I'd been working on a Doris Troy record and Stephen Stills had a very good 12 string guitar, which he loaned me for the evening. I wrote the tune then on the guitar, but I couldn't get past the first verse with the lyrics. So the song sank back into the distance, but I remembered it during 1976 and finished the lyrics. I related it to Olivia. Isn't that cool? Yeah. To start something in 1969 and almost 10 years later be like... Find mm, the end of yeah. the inspiration there. Yeah. So a couple of fun little facts is that Olivia can be spotted in many of George's music videos. Oh, really? Yep. So she's in Ding Dong, Ding Dong. She's in Crackerbox Palace. I love that. This song, This Is Love. And the song This Is Love uh, is shot in Maui, which is on the property that the home that they bought. Oh. So they spent a lot of wonderful time there. And really, like at this point, George is just really immersed in his family life. Yeah. You know, he said, I'm not really a career person. I'm a gardener, basically. Mm. So, yeah, George was gardening on three different continents and... I think maybe just giving that like nervous system response a break after all of the craziness he went through with the Beatles. It's interesting. John's a great example too. how examples of 
you're you're young and you're in love and you jump into things and then you realize I have so much personal growth I still need to do and then when once you get that personal growth that's when you can be like a fully uh formed human being and happy and you know an equal partner in a relationship and you know both bring positivity to it they they needed to grow they needed to you know have that time and that's when they really flourished in in their partnerships. I know. And for some of us who are lucky enough to have had multiple loving relationships, you have to think like I was in a relationship when I was 20 and it was beautiful. But just because it ended and this is actually a Dan Savage quote, just because a relationship ends doesn't mean it was a, it wasn't a successful relationship. Exactly. Exactly. It was it was still meant to be. And I, I mean, I don't believe in like one soulmate. I feel like everyone who you've had a relationship with, you were meant to have a relationship with, you know, they help you learn things. They help you grow and they're all just as important and valid as the next one. It doesn't matter the length, you know? Exactly. So we've been doing a whole lot of like lovey dovey, sweet, sweet, sweet stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having said that, there were still other women in George's life. Hmm. And Olivia kind of gets into it. So she speaks pretty openly in the Living in the Material World documentary. She doesn't say anything too specific, mm-hmm. but I'll read you her long quote that she says it's in the documentary and you can kind of read in between the lines too about how George continued to live his life in terms of relationships okay he was really a free person and he did not like to be bound by rules but he did like women Hmm. and he did he was women did like him if he just said a couple of words to a woman honestly he had a profound effect on people so that was always something that was you know and i'm not the only one who's had to deal with this you know person who's well loved So that was always a challenge. Sometimes people say, you know, what was the, what's the secret of a long marriage? It's like, you don't get divorced. Mm. And I think, you know, you go through challenges in your marriage. And here's what I found. First time we had a big hiccup on the road, I, you know, you get through things. You go, wow, there's a reward at the end of it. There's this incredible reward you love each other more. You learn something. You let go of something. Those hard edges soften. You know, you're that block of stone and life shapes you and takes you away those hard edges. We had these whole 30 years together and then at the end you're able to just decant that time. We spent the summer together and we had just so much fun. It's amazing, you know. It's the end of your life. Here's a conversation. I hope I wasn't a bad husband. Well, I hope I was an okay wife. How did we do? How did we do? And then when you think, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we just kept walking this path together and all those other things that came up and went, we just swatted away and batted them away between us, you know? Wow. So what do you, what do you take from that? Definitely what you said where obviously she had to overlook his adultery and I'm sure there were other issues along the way as well that, you know, we don't know about because... 27 years and maybe it wasn't adultery maybe they had like an agreement maybe maybe you never know it's hard to say yeah i mean she doesn't get totally into the details of it but you can kind of think like all right yeah george had had a slow period in his music where he made films 
worked in his gardens, tended to the, you know, Friar Park, mm-hmm. went to Formula One, became a father to Danny, lost his own father and married Olivia. And just as a reminder, Danny is named after the sixth and seventh notes in the Indian music scale. Oh, I did not know that. Really? Yeah. Da and ni. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. George and Olivia married on September 2nd, 1978, privately. Mm-hmm. I believe in a registry office kind of near Friar Park. And Danny was born a month before the wedding on August 1st. So they wanted to get married in May, but that's when George's father died. Mm-hmm. And his like uh, final divorce, like the, you know, we know he'd been separated from Patty for four years, but like the official divorce had just come through recently in that time as well. Life was really about his family and he wanted to protect his home. Less people were permitted into Friar Park. He was developing a more comfortable sense of himself. Olivia and George shared a similar sense of humor and curiosity. And he wasn't afraid to show his real self, even those traits that were on the side of negative. George had built a house in Hawaii, getting trees and flowers in from all over the world. And he'd labored on that property as well. And... He became a well-known fixture in the local community. Olivia says that people thought he was a recluse, like, you know, the public media that he had become a recluse. But really, he was just a recluse from traffic jams and pollution. Hmm. That's what Olivia was saying. And he nurtured his relationships. 1992 was about the last time that George did much touring because he had said, I really enjoyed playing, but I have a conflict. I don't particularly like playing to audiences. It's unhealthy to be a star. Interesting. I was watching um, that Joni Mitchell, that concert um, documentary about her. Mm -hmm. And she actually talked about that, too, where like how dangerous it is to enjoy um, the audience clapping so much. Like she doesn't like it when audiences clap in between songs because she says like it's very dangerous, I guess, for like one's ego and everything to to indulge in that too much. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe she enjoyed playing in Japan where they don't clap at all. Do they not? I Is it just like silence? I think I when I was uh, re-listening to Ginger Gilmore's episode and mm-hmm. Pink Floyd went to Japan, they were very confused because they oh, were yeah, not that's clapping right. out that's of right. respect. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to read a couple of quotes mm-hmm. by Friends of George on Olivia. Okay. So we're going to start by with Klaus Vorman. Oh, great. And he says this about Olivia. I felt Olivia was the perfect partner for George. She supported him in all his business endeavors, looked after him during his illness, stood by his side whenever he needed her, and also gave him the freedom he'd so desperately required. Hmm. And all inconspicuously in the background without pushing into the spotlight. Yeah. Wow. So maybe that was it. Yeah. What if he would have dated somebody famous? Yeah. We, it probably wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Or somebody who wasn't famous and then wanted it. It probably wouldn't have worked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he already did that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Carl Perkins has said, I told Olivia, oh, God, girl, you've meant so much to George's life. And it's just wonderful. They're beautiful people. They really do sound like the most compatible couple tom petty has said this about the attack at friar park where olivia yeah saved george's life we'll get into that when i heard about it i sent george facts and just said aren't you glad you married a mexican girl (laughs) olivia really kicked ass she is a beautiful person 
His son, Danny, is a beautiful kid, man. I've seen him recently. He is doing very well, very strong and inspired. Olivia had the hardest job in the world because she loved George more than all of us and she really took care of him and cleared the path in front of him, behind him, and inherited that crazy life, you know? Amazing, yeah. Yeah, that was in 2002 he said that. So we'll talk about the Friar Park incident. A man in his 30s, a paranoid schizophrenic, broke into Friar Park and attacked George to near death. He had only recently become obsessed with the Beatles and started wearing his headphones around to like drown out voices in his head. And actually he had talked more about Paul McCartney than anybody else, Hmm. but he had started going around Fire Park and he had found a place where the fences meet that there was like a tiny crack in it and that's how he got in. Wow. Right. So he broke in olivia heard the alarm went off her mother was sleeping in a room next to their bedroom and then danny and a friend were out somewhere um in one of the other lodgings wow mm-hmm. so, it could have been so much worse yeah so george starts chanting Hare krishna the guy runs up the stairs at them and attacks george stabbing him olivia hits him in the head with a large like very large i think it's kind of like a poker type thing not not like playing poker but fireplace like a, yeah yeah and george punctured his lung and then he got 12 stitches near his collarbone wow yeah and then olivia just had some like cuts Minor. and bruises yeah. so the man didn't go to jail on account of um being found insane mm-hmm. and he was placed in a psychiatric facility and deemed rehabilitated after 30 months wow Okay. Danny made one of his first public appearances at the age of 22, saying that the prospect of him being released into society is abhorrent. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to read you um, a little bit about George's death before we start wrapping up with what Olivia is up to these days. Okay. He spent his final days at 9536 Heather Road in Beverly Hills at a house owned by Paul McCartney. So I don't know if you know this, but he had also, so he died of cancer Yeah, and they think that the weakened state of like the attack, like the, the attack got him in a more weakened state. And so like everything just kind of shut down, like the attack took years off his life, but it was cancer that he, yeah, that he had. Wow. Olivia called us and said, I think you better get over here right away. He's not going to last the night, says Emile Richards. That was at Paul's house in Los Angeles. George Harrison died shortly before 1.30 p.m. Pacific time on November 29th, 2001, aged 58, with his wife and son at hand and a few important close friends nearby, chanting, singing, and praying. It was a moment, said Olivia Harrison, of profound beauty. He longed to be with God. Within 20 minutes, staff from the Hollywood Forever Cemetery arrived to collect Harrison's body, which had been covered in scented oils and holy water and wrapped in a silk blanket. He was taken in an unmarked white van to UCLA Medical Center, and within 10 hours, his body had been cremated in a simple Hare Krishna service accompanied by a reading of the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm. By the time the news of his death had broken, Olivia and Danny Harrison were already leaving for Switzerland with his ashes. These were later scattered in a secret ceremony delayed to avoid the intrusion of fans and media at Allahabad, the meeting place of Hinduism's three most sacred rivers, the Ganges, Yamuna, and Saraswati. 
His ashes were also distributed at nearby Benares, the place where Harrison's spiritual journey could be said to have truly begun in the summer of 1966, when he visited with Ravi Shankar on a trip which revealed a life-changing glimpse of the kind of bliss that fame, wealth, pop music, and John, Paul, and Ringo could never quite offer. For those who believed in reincarnation and souls nipping through the astral plane, he was finally home. For those of a more sceptical bent, if nothing else, Harrison's final journey to the Holy City, more than 35 years after his first, spoke of admirable commitment to the quest to attain self-knowledge. Few rock stars asked as many awkward questions of themselves, of God, of life itself. He was ready to hear some answers. When I met George, he said his ambition was to have no ambition, Olivia Harrison said, and I think he achieved that. For the last five years, he felt like that. He was free to go. That's beautiful. It's so lovely when people are able to be with the people they truly care about in that final moment. Not everyone gets that option, right? So Yeah, he didn't want to die in a hospital sedated. He wanted to be conscious for his death. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. <sighs> yeah. Right? It's yeah. Like, on the first year anniversary of George's death, there was a concert, the concert for George, where so many famous musicians played, including Paul McCartney, Jeff Lynne, Tom Petty, and Danny was on stage the whole time. Paul had said about Danny something along the lines of, it looks like George is here with us now and he stayed young and we've all aged. <laughs> in 2013, Olivia put an end to a campaign to have a statue of George erected in town. And the same year, a memorial garden was opened at the Bhaktivedanta Manor, 40 years after George had bought the property for the Hare Krishna movement. Hmm. The ceremony was conducted by Olivia and began with a sitar recital. So following George's death, Olivia joined Yoko Ono, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr in the foursome controlling the lucrative Beatles financial empire. Olivia serves as director of Apple Corps. In June 2006, she attended the Las Vegas launch of the Beatles Love stage show, mm. a project that George had initiated through his friendship with Guy uh, Le Liberté of Cirque du Soleil. Oh. She appeared on stage at Microsoft's E3 Press Conference in 2009, again with Yoko, uh, Paul, and Ringo to promote the Beatles rock band video game. <laughs> so we know that she worked with uh, Scorsese on living in the material world. Yeah. And she's funded film restoration project, uh, projects undertaken by his nonprofit organization, the Film Foundation. Through the Material World Foundation, she's financed the restoration of some Charlie Chaplin short films and then some uh, works from Mexico. That's great. Yeah. And then she's continued to develop George's philanthropic initiatives. She's the director of the Material World Foundation, which uh, he established in 1973 to sponsor diverse forms of artistic expression and to encourage the exploration of alternative life views and philosophies. That's so great that she's continuing his legacy. Yeah. yeah. So do you remember, like, we kept asking over and over again, who owns Fire Park now? Yeah. It's, they do. Oh, great. It's still in the still Harrison the family. Name. Yeah. And uh, to finish off the episode, I'm going to, are you not, are you not sick of quotes yet? Are you? No, I'm I love it. From, That's the best part. It was so hard to decide, like, should I not take these out and put no. them in my own words? The like, quotes are the best. Okay, good. I'm glad that you feel this way. So I'm going to finish with something that Olivia has written for Harrison by the editors of Rolling Stone, a big, beautiful book with these like amazing photos of the two of them, if you can see. Aww. So fantastic. And it's called A Few Words About George by Olivia Harrison. Okay. 
The silence of George's absence in our lives is deafening. Although he often renounced his role as an entertainer, my life with him was never boring. There were many comedies and a few tragedies, but most of all, deep love for all living things. He was a warrior who faced life's battles with extraordinary courage. In the words of Bob Dylan, he had the strength of a hundred men. The power of his convictions was as strong as a hundred men, all right. As Arjuna asked Krishna for guidance on the battlefield, so George faced the many battles before him with spiritual courage and an unwavering conviction. Our son Danny and I, like George's friends, were spoiled by his rich and loving presence. From the morning wake-up call, which could have been, depending on our location and mood, a morning raga, raja, a Vedic chant, a Mozart concerto, Cab Calloway's bugle call rag, or Hoagie's earliest instrumental version of Stardust, to the dazed final tune, maybe whistled on his way to bed, in which I would wake up in the morning singing. He loved planting the seed of a song and would sometimes whistle a tune I disliked just to see if he could get it rolling around in my head. After I would complain about it, he'd say, okay, here's one to replace it and whistle another. All senses were satisfied as incense blew in the morning breeze, mingling with the steam from hot cups of tea. If he stepped out the door for a breath of morning air, he always returned with a flower or leaf that would have gone unnoticed by everyone else. In the same way, a many among us would have gone unnoticed were it not for his ability to see the true person inside the bodily form. He always went straight to the heart of a person and that ability, uh, that ability extended to any subject or matter or work before him. His ability to penetrate to the core gave him, as he put it, a different slant, a different pattern than anyone I ever knew. George felt said that he felt closest to God in nature, and some may assume his passion as a landscape gardener was founded solely on his immense love and knowledge of plants, as well as his extraordinary vision. But the driving force was his desire to know God. If there is a God, we must see him. If there is a soul, we must perceive it. Otherwise, it is better not to believe. It is better to be an outspoken atheist than a hypocrite. As he used to remind us, though he often quoted spiritual greats in this way, George did not, contrary to popular belief, belong to any spiritual organization, although many claimed him as their own. George also said, he who tells all that he knows tells more than he knows. This usually applied to those who declared they knew the very private George's innermost beliefs. In fact, his spiritual knowledge and experience was many faceted. Still, he managed to dive deep to the heart of each practice, never con content to skim the surface. He embraced the essence of all religions, although he had little patience for organized religions or dogma that espoused guilt, sin, or mystery. For George, there was no mystery, and he would gladly spend hours discussing God with an interest in person, an interested person, and some not so interested. He was so deep, and I for one was at times guilty of indolence, probably because I knew that the tide of his devotion was so strong that I could ride those currents with him toward our shared goal of God consciousness. Now without him, we all have more paddling to do. George left the world his uniquely beautiful melodies, and some of them were barely born, played once, maybe. Every dictaphone or tape machine in the house was found with a cassette inside bearing the beginning of a new song, some on piano, ukulele or guitar, some with hysterically funny words, some with fiercely serious lyrics, but all crafted from creativity he knew to be a divine gift. Besides the company, conversation, and wisdom of my beloved friend, I already long for the live background music to our lives. If I began singing a song, any song. He would accompany and encourage me. If I played three chords on the uke, compulsory instrument in our home, he would be my band. George was so generous and grateful to anyone that is happy or free. A good moment to him was always worth making better. I love you, George. The joys, sorrows, lessons, and love we shared are more than enough to fill my heart until we meet again. That is the most beautiful thing ever. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> yeah. 
take a breath. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably many people that are a little tearful right now listening. <sighs> Grateful to anyone that is happy or free. They're such a beautiful couple and just human beings, you know? My goodness. I imagine being around them must have been something special. Everyone who knew them was pretty lucky. Yeah, I hope that, yeah, I, I were you able to get a good sense of... That was one of the most beautiful of episodes. Olivia Absolutely. And, uh, like their relationship together. Good. Because it's, you know, there's, um, this was really like a, a puzzle of an episode because so many things were taken from so many different sources. Mm-hmm. And Olivia's 71 years old at this point. Like, do you think she's going to write an autobiography? Probably not. I like, so, I think yeah. everything that she maybe has wanted to say has kind of been pieced into all of these little places. And... No, that was magnificent. You did a fantastic job putting it together. It was a beautiful story. And yeah, you definitely get a sense of what their relationship was like. And it's nice to have an episode. I mean, a lot, there. if you go back, there's quite a few episodes where they're not the most beautiful relationships or they're a little rocky or, you know, drugs or whatever has taken a toll. And it's just nice to have one where it's, it's you know, they really blossomed together and were there until the end. And she's continuing that legacy and that love that he put out there. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's nice to have a a change from the wild ups and downs of most rock and roll relationships. This was beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, Olivia is beautiful. And thank you so much for that. That was amazing. Well, thank you to Andrea from Harrison archive for really helping me out with that one as well. It just provided such a nice space and it gave me a good sense of Olivia before I even started to jump into my own research Mm -hmm. so um, she's actually a Tom Petty fan herself and so she had like a Petty Appreciation or has a Petty Appreciation Instagram as well so check out the Harrison Archive and Petty Appreciation yeah she's a rock and roll sister yeah thanks rock and roll sister and uh, yeah to all of our uh, George Harrison you know lovers out there there it was Olivia for you yeah, that's I great. hope I did. I hope he did it justice. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. All right, everybody. If you want to follow us. Yeah. On Twitter at Shanti and links. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Muses podcast. Yeah, we're on iTunes just under Robert Plant. Yes. <laughs> and of course, we're on Patreon. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Let us know what you think. Let us know what else you want to hear about. Who else you want to hear about. We love talking to you guys, so keep it coming. Yeah, keep it coming, and we'll see you next time. Stuff is produced by Chantal Lemieux and Link Solo. 
Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. You still have time for a tempting snack. Are you sick and tired of movie review shows that are just missing something? Do you need more history? Do you need more laughs? Do you need more meandering, insane ramblings than most movie shows provide? Well, then I've got the show for you. Real Rock, with me, the rock and roll reverend Andy King. On Real Rock, we look to dissect rock and roll movies from not only a historical view, but also through a critical and oftentimes personal view. Every episode of Real Rock is a little different, with occasional parodies, sometimes special guests, and a lot of unhinged rants. So pass the popcorn, pass the vape, and hit the lights. We're going to the movies. Listen to Real Rock wherever you catch your pods. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 